This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? So just so you know, Ryan, in the first service, told them that they were the favorite. So he and I are going to have a meeting tomorrow to talk about ethics and honesty and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, he could probably say that I, I preach exactly the same thing I'm going to preach in the second service. But anyways. Um, how many of you are ready for Christmas? It's, I mean, it's just a couple days away, right? You got everything, you bought everything, spent all the money you're going to spend. That's a lie. <laughs> you haven't spent all the money you're going to spend. You know that's not true. But you probably should stop spending, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> okay. You know, as a church, uh, what we try to do every year is to focus in on preparing our hearts for Christmas, focusing on preparing our hearts and our attitudes for the birth of Jesus Christ. As a, as a culture, as a society, we, we work really diligently at preparing a lot of other things, right? Thanksgiving comes and goes, and right after Thanksgiving, we're already, you know, buying Christmas trees, we're putting up lights, we're decorating Christmas trees, we're buying gifts, putting them under the Christmas, I mean, we're doing so much, we're maxing out credit cards, don't do that, that's... Uh, that's not good to do, but we do that kind of stuff, you know, in preparation for Christmas. And, and so as a church, one of my goals is knowing that culturally that's what we do already. What I'd like to do is in at least one day of the week, while we're trying to do a lot of other things in preparation for Christmas, that we would come to this place and prepare our hearts for Christmas. Prepare our hearts for the birth of Jesus Christ and the acknowledgement of the birth of Jesus Christ. This um, season in the church calendar is typically referred to as Advent. Advent uh, reflects the, f- the four weeks leading up to Christmas or the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And so um, millions and billions of Christians ar- around the world are, are uh, celebrating Advent, you know, um, it's been celebrated for, for millennia that the fact that Jesus Christ came as a child born in a manger and with the little thought that follows, that follows after that, that he came to save us from our sins. It's Advent. The word Advent simply means coming. He's come. And so as we think about Christmas, we think about Christmas in terms of he came 2,000 plus years ago as a baby in a manger. That's how we think about Christmas. That's how we celebrate Advent. But you have to understand it historically. In fact, if the song that we sang, Hark the Herald Angel Sings, even implies it in the song that historically Advent wasn't just about the coming of Jesus as a baby. Advent, the second purpose of Advent is to remind us that he is coming again. That there is this in-between time. He came once and he's coming again. And so as we celebrate Christmas, we prepare our hearts, not just to think about how amazing it was that he came the first time, but we prepare our hearts in preparation for the fact that he is coming again. And we can ask ourselves very, you know, internal questions. God, am I ready? Where am I in my heart? Where am I in my relationship with you? This is, a, this is the idea of Advent. As one author once put it, to live between 
It's to live in the in-between, between the already and the not yet. Jesus came. He already came. And he is yet to come. And so we live in that in-between. That's where we live. So what does it look like to be in that kind of anticipation that he is coming again? What does it, what does it feel like, you know? If you have kids, with, if, you, if you're a parent of young kids, or maybe you remember having young kids, remember what it was like right after Thanksgiving, you, you buy your Christmas tree or you put up a fake tree, you know, fake or Christmas, a real tree or a fake tree, right? My wife's back there shaking her head. That's right. That's right, because she's an only live tree, you know? I'm not going to embarrass anybody here, but how many of you, let me ask you the flip side. How many of you have like a, a, like a real Christmas tree you went by and you put, okay. wow, we're in such the minority. <laughs> the rest of you are fakers, by the way. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> But what happens around Christmas, this anticipation thing happens, is that what happens is that we, we put up a Christmas tree, we, we, uh, we start decorating the Christmas tree somewhere around mid-December, the tree starts filling up with presents around the bottom there, you know, and if you have little kids, this is what happens. They see the presents, they see the tree, they see the lights, and immediately the next morning they wake up and say, is it Christmas yet? No, 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 it's uh, 10 more days. Oh, ah, 10 days. Go back to bed, they wake up the next morning, is it Christmas yet? You know, because, you know, sometimes little kids don't understand the concept of a day, right? Like 10 days just seems so far, far, far in the future that they live in this, this anticipation. They're just, in many ways, even frustrated. And so we live that way when it comes to the, re- the reality that Jesus came and he's coming again. He was born and the present was given. I mean, it's been wrapped and delivered Yet it won't be fully received until Jesus comes again. So we wait. And waiting, waiting is so hard. I mean, the longer we wait, the easier it is to lose hope, isn't it? I don't know if you can think of the times where you've waited. At first, you didn't mind waiting. I mean, it was okay to wait at first, you know. But then as, as time starts passing, the longer the wait goes, the harder it is to wait. The more difficult it is for us to, to find, you know, purpose in the weight or understanding in the weight or meaning in the weight, right? So I think about God's people, how they had waited for so long and they were losing hope. And so when that first Christmas rolled around, they had waited for the Messiah to come for so, so long that many of them were no longer waiting. Many of them had lost hope. Many had given up. They just didn't have this eager expectation anymore. You know, in the Bible, you have <clears throat> the Old and the New Testament. And uh, you know that, right? Everybody knows that? There's an Old and a New Testament in the Bible? Okay. I just saw some puzzled faces like, really? Old and New Testament? Okay. So there's an Old and New Testament, right? And, 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 and the, there's a period of time between the Old and the New Testament. It's called the intertestamental period. It's a period of time of 400 years. So 400 years pa- passed between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew. Okay? 400 years. Bible publishers would actually put a, when they would publish a Bible, when they would send it, send it to print and put it out there, they would actually insert a blank page between, now, now that was probably to say, hey, Old Testament, New Testament, separating the two, but also they would insert it there metaphorically. 
Meaning that this is how they would see it, at least evangelical Bible publishers, they would see it as, uh, this is a time of, in a metaphor sense, this is a time of silence, where God did not speak for 400 years. Now, we know that's not true, because God is always speaking, but that's what they would do. It's this weight in between. And so can you imagine those early followers of Jesus having waited for centuries, 300 plus prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, and now centuries have passed, 400 years have passed, and they still haven't received what they've been waiting for. They were losing hope. They were just giving up. Maybe many of them felt that God had gone AWOL or just, just dark, right? I'm sure that there's some of you here today that maybe that's where you are. Not, not, not maybe, I'm certain of it. Some of you are sitting here this morning wondering, God, where are you? Are you even listening to my prayers? You've been waiting and waiting, and maybe you've even started to lose hope. See, we're not good at waiting, are we? No? Yeah, you are good at waiting? I'm not good at waiting. Like, like one of the worst things for me is to go to a theme park. I, I shouldn't say that. Because I'm a, I'm a grandparent now, so I have a feeling that theme parks in my, are in my future, you know? But I don't like theme parks. I mean, just think about it. The math doesn't add up on a theme park. So I'm, I'm a very linear thinker, you know, when it comes to that kind of stuff. So the math doesn't add up, right? You pay way too much money to get in to a place that's completely crowded. You stand in lines for very, very long times for a one-minute experience. That... that, that does that make any sense to anybody to do that? Some of you are like, see, you're not linear thinkers. You're like circular thinkers. You're like, yeah, but that one-minute experience is awesome, you know. <laughs> For me, it's like this, let's go, let's go eat a pizza instead or something else. You know, I, that, that's, I, that's how I think. I, it's, I'm, I'm not, I am not good at waiting and I think that's true probably for many of us, actually. In fact, you know how the, in, in certain cities they have these, and like if you're going into Des Moines, you'll see it as well, these signs on the highway that say, they kind of give you a, a, a picture of how long it's before you get to the next exit or the, the exit that you're looking for, you know, and it might say like 15 minutes to exit 15 or, or exit 25 or whatever, and, and, uh, and, and you know, right? So when we lived in L.A., that was, that was, a, that was, that was a joke, right? You see the sign and say, exit whatever, and Maybe it was seven miles away, and that might take you, in L.A., it might take you eight minutes to get there, or it might take you three hours to get there to go seven miles because of traffic, right? Wouldn't it be awesome if there was those kind of signs for life in our lives? Like, because we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. Maybe you're waiting to get a job. You need a job. And you're unemployed. You're trying to figure it all out. How am I going to make a living? When am I going to get a job? I'm applying to all these places. No response. Wouldn't it be awesome if you woke up one morning, you were, one morning and you were driving down the road and suddenly there's a sign that pops up and says, from this point on, in four months, you're going to have a job. The job that you've always wanted. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? I mean, it's four months. It's kind of a long time. But still, you know that in four months, you're going to have a job. Or maybe you've been waiting to get married and... You know, you've met a lot of guys out there, but none of them the right one. And you get up the next morning and you're driving and there's a sign that pops up and says, in 18 months, 
In 18 months, you are going to be married to the love of your life. You will spend the rest of your life together. You'll have many kids and grandkids. I mean, 18 months is long, but still, if you've been looking and waiting and waiting, and now, now you know that you have only 18 months before that happens, there's something about that, right? Or maybe, maybe you've been waiting for your husband to just one time, just one time without being prompted to put the toilet seat down. Maybe that's what you, and you know, you know how, how long do you have to wait for that miracle to happen? And eternity, in the first service, I said that and somebody said, forever, you know, and she was like beating on her husband next to her, you know. But if you woke up the next morning and you saw a sign in front of you and said, from this point on, the wait for your husband to, that, to do that is the rest of your natural existence. <laughs> I don't know. Because it's never going to happen, right? It's, it's never going to happen. Anyways. I mean, if we just had signs like that in our life, it would be just so, so great. And yet, that's not really the life that we're living. And that's the world that Jesus came into. He was born into. They had waited so long, and they had begun to lose hope. And I'm guessing that many of them were like, yeah, we don't even, we're not even sure that he even is coming, the Messiah is coming, right? Some of you understand that because you too have been waiting a long time. You've been waiting for, for that, for, you know, for God to cure that cancer, for God to heal that marriage, for God to give you the strength to overcome that addiction. For God to heal that broken relationship with your son or your daughter. You've been waiting and waiting and you begin to lose hope. And here's what happens when we lose hope. The first thing that happens when we begin to lose hope is that we become independent. Right? At some point we just shake our fist at God and say, God, forget it. If you're not going to do something for me, just I'm going to do it on my own. I'll take care of business. I'm just going to get busy and, you know, it's going to be pre- The good thing about independence is it's, it's predictable, Right? Like, I'm doing, I'm in control, I'm in charge, and you feel good about that. There's something appealing about being independent of God because you're doing it yourself. But here's a problem. At some point in the journey, you discover that there are things that you cannot control. Like, you can't control your spouse's feelings. You can't always control your children's decisions. You definitely can't control a doctor's diagnosis. And so you, you're back to this place where you are losing hope. And so when this happens, when we realize that we're not really in control, we become indignant. We're angry. We have to somehow know the vent. We have to say, this is somebody else's fault. I was trying to take control. If I had just taken control, I would still go to church. I would tithe. I would do all the things. But, but at least, you know, things were going well. But now that things are not going well, even though I am in control, and even though I feel like God is not even listening to me, we become indignant. And we start getting angry towards God and towards life. Things really haven't worked out. As this one Holocaust survivor said, if this is the best God can do, why doesn't he just resign and let someone more competent take his place? Now, we may not, may not say it in those words, but I assume that that's where some of you are. You're angry. You're tired of waiting. You've been waiting so long. You're just tired 
tired of waiting to conceive, tired of waiting to, to, you know, for that chemo to take effect and get rid of the cancer, tired of, of caring for that sick child or that elderly parent, tired of trying to make ends meet, just tired. I think many of us come to this place, and when you lose hope and tried independence, you've tried indifferent, uh, you know, you're just mad, you're angry, you just become indifferent. Indifference is a coping mechanism. It's what we do when, when it's out of our control. And when we realize that anger is not really helping us because anger is just making things a lot worse. So what we do is we become indifferent. We just take this whatever attitude. Yeah, whatever. And so you might be a at this place in your life right now where you hear Pastor Rich talking about, have hope, have hope, believe that God is there. You're sitting back and say, yeah, whatever, Rich. Whatever. I just, I've heard that before. It didn't work two years ago. It didn't work 10 years ago. Why do you think it's going to work now? And so we become indifferent with this whatever kind of attitude. Our heart grows cold. As uh, Lewis Smedes puts, he was a professor of ethics at Fuller Seminary is where, where I went to school. That's what he says. Waiting is our destiny. As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in the darkness for a flame that we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending that we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Any of you ever felt like that? Like you're hearing not yet, not yet, not yet, and you're kind of consoling yourself with a prayer, not yet, not yet, but it feels like it's not ever going to happen. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. Waiting. That was true of Israel around the time of Jesus' birth as well. There's a lot of hopelessness going around. A lot of people were just didn't believe anymore that Jesus, that the Messiah would come. But there's two examples that we find in the scriptures here as we're going to get into the scriptures. There's two examples that we find that of two people who actually didn't never lost hope. Even though centuries had passed, promises had been made, they never lost hope. One of them was this guy named Simeon. Now, when we read the Christmas story, oftentimes we read Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the Magi, and all of that stuff. That's, that's what we read in the Christmas story. And we, when we get to Simeon and the other character we're going to talk about here in a second, we don't really, yeah, yeah we just, okay, whoever that person is. Because there's, sh- there's such a short passage of scripture that we don't even really think too much about it. And yet, they are, within the Christmas story, of the few that never lost hope. And so what can we learn from them? What I, love about, what I love about Simeon is that Joseph and Mary are bringing Jesus to be dedicated in the temple. And so they bring Jesus to the temple. And it says that Simeon had been hanging out at the temple, and that's where he meets him. In fact, look what it says in verse 25. It says, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly, <laughs> take note of that, was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Do you notice it says eagerly waiting? Honestly, guys, I don't know when I've ever eagerly waited. Does anybody here know what I'm talking about? Like eagerly, I mean, I've anxiously waited. I've angrily waited. <laughs> I've got a lot of adverbs like that. I've never eagerly, like I don't go to Walmart, stand in a long line, and then see a short line and say, no, I'm going to eagerly wait right here in this long line. I don't do that. I don't think any of us do that, right? 
We don't eagerly wait. I don't, that's, I mean, I could come up with a lot of other ad, adverbs that we can use here to, to talk about our approach of waiting. We can resentfully wait. <laughs> or resentfully waited. Yeah, that's generally like when you apply for something and it takes a little too long. And then you start resenting the fact that you even applied for it, right? We've, we can anxiously, anxiously wait, fearfully wait, angrily wait, nauseatingly wait, frustratingly wait, cantankerously wait, vexingly wait. I mean, there's a lot of ways that we can wait, but eagerly is not one of them. In fact, I came across this, uh, this Instagram page called Miserable, Miserable Men. <laughs> okay, ladies, you just kind of have to bear with me a little bit, okay, on this one. This, uh, this Instagram page is mostly about men who, uh, you know, pictures of men who are waiting for their wives while they're shopping, <laughs> which is probably a phenomenon that happens quite a bit around this time of the year, right? And so I kind of got a few examples here. Here's one. This, this, this guy, <laughs> there it is. He's <laughs> got a Tommy Hilfiger bag and... I don't know what brand that purse is, but some of you might know. But anyways, he's, uh, he, he's like, can we please go home? I'm so tired. <laughs> he's got to take a nap at the mall, right? This next one's pretty funny as well. This guy, look at the day's look on his face. He's like, I married her? I thought she was good looking. I thought she was awesome. How did this happen to me? How did I end up here? That's the look that he's got. I'm shock and awe, you know? The next one's me, actually. Um, <laughs> notice he's in the pantyhose section <laughs> that's, that's the hilarious part and he's sitting there saying he looks like he's about to blow a gasket he's like man if anybody talks to me they're going to regret it you know, I don't, or maybe he's waiting for his wife to turn her back so he could split I don't know what he's doing there you know but the funniest one is this one this is totally me. Like, I ain't going in there. I ain't going in there. No way am I going in that store. Others, I'm not, I know that there's this man card thing that gets taken away from you if you walk into that store. So I'm not going in that store, you know? I think that that's oftentimes how we wait. But what I love about Simeon is that he waited eagerly. We don't really know how old Simeon was, but it tells us a little bit about it in verse 25. He said in 26, says, the Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die. So there's this implication that, that it was a long wait and he was waiting to die, not die, until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So Simeon seems to be old enough, maybe past the age of ex- life expectancy, I don't know, that in fact, in fact, it says that when he saw the Messiah, when he saw Jesus being dedicated in the temple, it says that he said, Lord, let me die in peace. He's like, I'm ready to go now. So for a long time, he had waited, and he had eagerly waited for a long time. Then we have another person, another character in this story that many of us kind of overlook. is a person, woman named Anna. Anna was a prophetess, and she was, you know, somebody who had been waiting as well for a long time. It says in verse, 20, in verse 36, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. She was very old. Implication? She'd been waiting a long time. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. 
So it's likely that Anna probably married around the age of 15. That would have been a common age for marriage around that time, you know, that time in, that, in that period of time. So that means if she was eight, married around the age of 15, that means that she would have been widowed around the age of 22. Now she's 84. So for 62 years, she has lived as a widow. Now you need to understand, that's a very difficult thing to do, to live as a widow. It's not like us. You know, widows can remarry and all that, but that's not how it happens in this part of the world. And yet she waited for, for a very long time, and she waited eagerly. Look what it says in verse 3. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. This widow of now 62 years a widow, or there, thereabouts, she came along just as Simeon was talking to Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. I love this. Both of them were waiting. Both of them had been waiting for a very long time, but they had not lost hope. Now, I guess the question to pose to you this morning is, <clears throat> there might be some hopeless people here right now. You feel hopeless. How do you wait for a long time for something, for an answer to prayer, for rescue, for whatever, and not lose hope. How does that happen? Because most people just kind of give up. They quit. They find an alternative. They go to plan B or C or D or whatever. How do you not lose hope? Here's what you see about Simeon and Anna, is that they didn't wait passively. I think part of our problem is that we wait passively. Like we say to God, God, I need you to respond. I need you to step into such. I need you to change the circumstance. I need you to heal my, heal my marriage or heal my body or do this. And then I'm just going to sit back, God, until you do something. But they didn't do that. They didn't wait passively. They waited actively. It tells us of Simeon that he was full of the spirit and he was righteous and devout. Now, this is towards the end of his waiting period. So he's been waiting for a long time as a righteous and devout person, full of the Spirit. What does that tell you about him? It tells you that he was active in his faith. He was active in his belief in the promises of God. He wasn't sitting back finally saying, okay, I give up, I quit. I don't know why, God, you're not, you're not doing something sooner. You have Anna, who says, it tells us she was day and night, Worshiping and praising God? Like I said, a widow of this time period would have, that, that's not their, in fact, you read through the scripture, you find that on, over and over again, it talks about the lament of people like widows. They suffer. It's not a, it's not a good lot of life for them. And yet she, day and night, praised and worshiped God. And that speaks to us as well. I've been, I don't know, you might have seen, I've been a little bit, I've had some physical challenges recently. You saw my, I was hobbling around. There was one Sunday that I, I, I came to church with a boot on, but I said, I, I refuse to preach in, in a boot. So I took the boot off and I paid for it later. <laughs> um, so physically, I've been going through some issues and, and, uh, and I've had other things. You can ask my wife, I haven't been praising and worshiping God day and night, just over this little thing. And here's Anna, 
who for a major part of her life as a widow in a place where women couldn't earn a living, where women had a, where, who were widows were basically left to begging on the streets, she worshiped and praised God. And this teaches us how we can wait. Teaches us about a positive attitude that we can have when things aren't going exactly the way we expect them to go. Teaches about how we can live a life that is active in pursuing God and in the pursuit of God, even though the answers haven't been given exactly as you hope for. In the pursuit of God, you find joy, you find peace, you are able to overcome as you're actively pursuing God. So they're waiting, but they're not just standing around, they're eagerly waiting. And I want to encourage us this Christmas that's how we can wait, right? I mean, may feel like God has been absent. It may feel like God is just far away. He's not hearing your prayers. You might feel that way. In fact, you might characterize your life as a blank page right now. Like it's just, it's like that blank page between the Testaments. It's just, God, you're not speaking to me. You're not, I'm not hearing you. Where are you? We need rescue. We're waiting and we need rescue. Yes, God, rescue us. Rescue us from, from racism, from terrorism, from alcoholism. Rescue us from loneliness. I, I mean, I suspect that most of us don't think about those things too often because really we're more preoccupied with the other kind of rescue. God, rescue my marriage. Rescue my finances. God, rescue my relationship with my kids. I haven't talked to them in years and when we see each other, we just kind of grunt at each other, and that's about it. God, I need your rescue. Rescue me from cancer. Yes, we need rescue. Here's what I want you to see and understand, I guess. That's what I'm getting at. That all of us as humans find ourselves in places where we need God to intervene. The breaking in of God. We believe that Jesus came many, many years ago, and we also believe that he's coming again, and this, we're living in the in-between of that. And some of you might feel like, I can't wait till he comes again for this stuff to happen. The cool thing about the kingdom of God is that it breaks in into our time period from time to time. Oftentimes it does, actually. It breaks in some pretty powerful ways, so you might be saying, God, I need rescue in my body, I need you to heal the cancer in my body. And you know what? What's really cool is that the, in the kingdom of God, there's these moments where he does break in and he heals your body. Where he breaks in and heals your relationships with your kids. Where he breaks in and heals your relationship with your wife or your husband. How do we wait for that? We eagerly wait. See, we do not wait as those who have no hope because we do have a hope. Let's all stand. <clears throat> I love what Anna said. She said, a rescuer is coming. And so I want to speak that prophetic, prophetically to you this morning. I don't know where you are. There's a large group of people here, and I don't know exactly where you stand in your relationship with the Lord, in your relationship with your families, members, in a relationship with... with uh, extended family I don't know where you're at with that I don't know where you are in your finances I don't know where you are in your health I don't know that maybe you're here this morning and it's not by accident that you're here this morning with a need 
for rescue. And like Anna, I want to say to you prophetically, a rescuer is coming. A rescuer is coming. A rescuer is coming. In fact, let's all say that together. Ready? A rescuer is coming. Now let's say it this way. God, rescue me. Ready? God, rescue me. God, rescue me. Amen.